0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 13, Luke 1 through nine, At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down! Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks thanks be to God. God. So in many ways, it is the age-old question, why do bad things happen? And how could a good an all-powerful God, allow the kind of suffering we experience and we see in the world? It's a question that probably kept you up late at night in college, talking with friends, to try to solve the mysteries of the universe. It's a question that has gone around and around the table at many a pub theology conversation. It's a question that has baffled theologians and philosophers alike a question that can cause an existential crisis at any point in our lives. How could God let this happen? And that can feel at odds with our faith. We trust that there is a good God who is the source of all that exists, and that this God knows us and loves us and wants the best for us. A God who says to us in the words of Jeremiah the prophet, "For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future." But then something goes sideways. Our career hits a wall. We struggle with addiction or depression. Someone we love dies. The world turns upside down because of a global pandemic. An unprovoked war breaks out, putting innocent people at risk. Or perhaps all of the above. And we're left shaking, on the edge of breaking, (laughs) and maybe just a little or more than a little angry at God. Ricky McCroskey tells about his own experience. He writes, when you you find out your mom has stage four cancer, your mind does a lot of things. You try to dismiss it. You deny it. You hate it. You get angry at people you have no business getting angry at. You yell. You cry. You stop giving a damn about how healthy your food is or if you're sleeping enough, or if you'll get a promotion. You get proactive. You buy her a juicer, make her a get-well video. You write her inspirational notes. You pray. You ask others to pray. I did all of that and more. She never got better. And he writes, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but in the days and weeks after my mom's (laughs) passing, I could not bring myself pray. I was exhausted, not just physically and emotionally, but spiritually. Totally spent. I had prayed to God with a fervor and intensity I didn't know I had. And I felt like God was nowhere to be found. Either my faith wasn't great enough, or it never mattered in the first place. What the bleep! God I wonder if you can identify with that or have ever been in a similar place. Sorrow and struggle and no clear answers. A tragedy that happens only to other people is suddenly happening to you. And all those verses about hope and plans and healing seem to just go up in smoke. you imagine that God cannot possibly care about you, God has maybe tuned you out, or isn't paying attention, or maybe you wonder, isn't there at all? Because if God is there, and this unspeakable thing happened, and God did nothing to prevent it? Well, that's just too much. In our text today, Jesus is told about a tragedy, one that is all the more compounded because of where and how it took place. And we mentioned this last week. Verse 1 says, at that very time there was some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now we don't have a lot of context for this event. It could be that these Galileans were zealots. Folks who were planning violent action against Rome and maybe Pilate had intel on them and saw them as an immediate threat. And he killed them. Maybe that's one way he justified his answers, or maybe he was just showing his power and his ruthlessness, and these happened to be five people in the wrong place at the wrong time. In either case, it is a terrible tragedy, and it happens in the one place where you would imagine that you would be safe. You came to Jerusalem, the holy city, to the temple, to offer sacrifices, to worship God. Surely in that place, God will watch out for you and protect you and keep you safe. It is the ultimate God-where-are-you moment. How could God let this happen? Jesus doesn't say. In fact, he brings up another tragedy. At the south end of the lower city of Jerusalem was a well-known pool, Siloam. And evidently, one of the towers guarding the aqueduct collapsed Maybe it was still under construction or was unstable for some reason, and it killed 18 people. Perhaps simply an accident, but again, a seemingly senseless tragedy. How could God let this happen? On the evening of June 17, 2015, a mass shooter walked into a church an A.M.E. Church in Charleston, South Carolina and there were people there gathered for Bible study. Bibles open on their laps and white supremacist Dylan Roof had joined them and came with a gun and as he looked in the faces of these folks He told them that African Americans were taking over the country, and he opened fire. Nine people, dead, at church. Three years later, there was a shooting at Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue where eleven people died. And if we're not safe here, in this kind of setting, where we're gathered expressly for the purpose of worshiping God. Well, the conclusions that we might draw are both understandable and terrible. But at least Jesus is going to explain all of this for us, right? (laughs) Well... But instead of offering an explanation or a comforting word, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. If I had given an answer like that to a situation of struggle in in a pastoral care class in seminary, I would have received a failing grade. Jesus' response seems tone deaf. Shape up, people, or this is going to be your fate too. clearly, Jesus, you're not helping things here. Now again, maybe he's speaking to some folks who are themselves zealots, considering the path of violence against Rome. And so he says, repent, turn from your ways, or your violence is going to compound against you. That makes some sense, but still, the second incident, that seems a little less clear with the tower that fell. And either way, we might have hoped for more from Jesus. And then he tells a parable about a fig tree. Maybe this will clear things up for us. A man had a fig tree in his garden. He came looking for fruit on it. There wasn't any. If you've tried to do a garden before, perhaps you know this frustration. You've worked hard. You've prepared everything. And maybe you don't have a green thumb. But in the story, this man gets angry, and he gets angry at the gardener. Rip this thing out, it's worthless, I'm done waiting for this thing. Cut it down. Now again, this is not one of Jesus' most popular stories, and it's not a go-to parable for preachers. But here we are, sometimes the lectionary says, here you go. That's right. <clears throat> and like Jesus' audience, we too have been bombarded with Experiences of tragedy ourselves, certainly news of tragedy, mass shootings, school shootings, a pandemic and unprovoked war, not to mention whatever else is happening in our own lives. And we're desperate for a good word, a word of hope, a word of comfort, something to explain what's going on, anything. But it seems hard to find here from Jesus on the face of it. And I wonder if we probe deeper into what Jesus is saying, we might hear something like this. Life is short. Your job is to love. Your invitation is to bear fruit. Your purpose is to be the presence of God in other people's lives. David Wolpe writes, there is a marvelous story of a man who once stood before God. heart heartbreaking from all the pain and injustice in the world. Dear God, he cried out, look at all this suffering, anguish, and distress in your world. Why don't you send help? God responds, I did send help. I sent you. I was reading about a German man who, like all of us, has been watching the news and seeing everything unfolding in Ukraine. And he looked at his young daughter and said, we have to do something. And so they hopped in their car and drove 11 hours from Frankfurt to the Poland-Ukraine border, bringing supplies and food and a sign that said, we will give you a ride to safety. And a young mom with three children, desperate to get anywhere away from the violence, took them up on their offer almost immediately. And they drove right back toward Germany. And this man, Karsten, said, we've watched what's happening. We've seen the pictures on TV, my daughter and I. And we said, this is so horrible. We want to make a small contribution, however small it may be. But we believe it could make a difference. God why don't you do something why don't you send help Teresa of Avila the Catholic mystic in the 1500s wrote Christ has no body but yours no hands no feet on earth but yours yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion out on the world Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Powerful words from 500 years ago. From the Catholic mystic. And I think in many ways this is in line with what Jesus is saying. Life does contain suffering. Life is short. You are here now. Do something. The great teacher of mythology, Joseph Campbell, wrote Compassion for me is just what the word says, it is suffering with compassion, suffering with. It is an immediate participation in the suffering of another to such a degree that you forgot yourself and your own safety and you do what is necessary. Writer Martin Lowenthal says, compassion is a foundation for sharing our aliveness and building a more human world. I love that, sharing our aliveness. Aliveness. Echo? But of course we still haven't answered the big question about why and about God which perhaps does not have a satisfactory answer. But the one thing that helps me the most is this, that though God doesn't step in to prevent suffering in the world God is present with us in it. And in the tears we read about in the gospel last week that Jesus shed, we see the tears of God for a world of suffering. God doesn't step in to stop it, but God is present with us. And sometimes it might be you or I who is the very presence of God to someone else. Amen. Maybe so.